Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast with Sean Martin. Have you ever thought that we're selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Well, perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Asgardia by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDAS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. And here we are. You're very welcome to new Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. This is Sean Martin, and I'm joined today by the one and only Lance. <laughs> it's me. Lance, uh, how's it going, man? Pretty good. <laughs> I, I was able to wrangle some time away from all the great stuff you're doing at Sands to uh, have a chat with me. I appreciate well, it. No, I appreciate the time. Thanks. And uh, so for those listening and watching, we're going to we'll produce a video of this one as well. Uh, we're going to look at uh, all things end user security and, and the interactions between uh, the employees, perhaps some partners even, and uh, the security teams, building culture, building trust, collaborating, and doing what matters for the business, um, not just because security said, but because it's better <laughs> to do that. So um, before we get into it all, though, uh, I know what, you, what you're up to at Lance, uh, at Sands Lance, but uh, our audience may not uh, be familiar with everything you have going on there. So a few words about... Uh, your role and uh, perhaps your journey to to uh, do all that you're doing at Sands. Sure. Yeah, I'll keep this real short. So my name is Lance Spitzner. I'm a director at Sands Security Awareness. My job and passion is working with organizations on the human side of cybersecurity. Now, I've been in the cyber world for over 25 years. And the first half was really on the technical side. So pen testing, cyber threat intel, system hardening. But really on the past 10, 15 years, I've transitioned to the human side because honestly, this is where I feel we can make the biggest impact. In a lot of ways, I feel we've gotten pretty good at using technology to secure technology, but we've really left out the human side. In fact, I would argue that we are even driving today's threat actors to target the human. So this is why I'm so passionate and really working with organizations around the world. So, you know, what can we do on the human side? And that's why I'm really excited to be, you know, having an opportunity like this to just share some ideas. Perfect. And I, I often joke with uh, my co-founder, Marco, that there's a tech stack and a human stack. 
And it's equally important to uh, know how that human stack operates, <laughs> which is, I mean, technology, you, you kind of have a, an insight into it, right? Somebody built it and, and can define what it does. Humans are a little more, uh, a little more wily. And we have uh, brains that yeah. do things. <laughs> it's more challenging, but I would say you get longer return on investment. So it takes more time to change people's behavior. It takes more time to really build that secure culture. But once that security becomes embedded, it doesn't matter what the cyber threat actors throw at you. You're far more resilient. And one of the things I like to do on this show, Lance, is um, help people figure out how to operationalize an aspect of their security program. And in doing so, um, really kind of, and I hate, hate the, the concept of shift left, because I think you should, you should start there in the first place. But the, the idea that if you're going to spend money and put people and technology and processes on a problem, the solution to that problem should benefit the business in some way. Yeah, right? big one. I think, I think we can always point to risk management, but perhaps there are ways to actually uh, also increase trust uh, for the company with partners uh, and, and other customers. And there are a number of positive benefits perhaps uh, here. So maybe let's start with the idea of the concept of aligning security programs specifically around the human element and the, the culture of that back to an organization's strategy. I don't know what, what some of those conversations sound or look like even uh, as you're having them with companies. So yeah, let's I mean start with at the very top. Why do we have cybersecurity? Because it is one of the biggest, newest risks, if you will. So risk, this is nothing new for organizations. Reputational, legal risk, operational risk, financial risk. Organizations have dealt with it for thousands of years. What is new is this cyber component, and it's really evolved very fast. Not only how we've adopted the cyber, but how threat actors have leveraged and taken advantage of cyber. So risk, not new. Cyber is new and really important to support that organization's mission so it can operate. The really new element to cyber is we've invested heavily in the past 20 years on the technology side. Like I said, we've gotten very good at using technology to secure technology. Look at the Windows operating system. 20 years ago, it was extremely easy to hack into any Windows computer. Nowadays, because of all the tech that Microsoft builds into a typical Windows computer, if I put a default installation on the internet, it's gonna stay there for weeks, months, if not years before it's hacked into. That is until the human touches the keyboard. Once people start leveraging technology, that's when we know, just throw risk right out the window. And But why is that? Because we've done so much to secure technology, but we've not adapted security to people. So when you say, how do we align this with the business, with the organization? Cybersecurity supports the organization's mission by managing or reducing the cyber risk. But in today's world, from a cyber perspective, the biggest risk is on the human side. Look at almost any cyber report. I mean, the Verizon DBIR, the Microsoft Digital Defense Report, any of these annual, I mean, CrowdStrike, 
they'll say time and time again, it's the human element. Verizon now has a number. For the past three years, 80% of breaches involve the human. And it's not that people are the weakest link. It's not that we are to blame people. It's that people are the primary attack vector because we have failed to make security simple for them. We have failed to secure people like we have secured most technologies or operating systems. So bring it back to the organization. Security support or cybersecurity supports the mission, but the biggest risk in cybersecurity is the human side. So that's why I'm so passionate about the human side. We can have a huge amount of impact by just making some small changes at the organizational or strategic level. And I would think, I mean, sometimes we get hung up when we're talking cybersecurity to the executive staff and to the board, where again, leaning in on the technology, we try to translate the technology and the tech risk in ways that perhaps the execs and the board can understand. Um, I would think that the human element and having that conversation would be a little easier for between, between cybersecurity professionals and the execs and the board. Is it, or am I mistaken there? Well, if you get high enough to the board level, it's really probably irrelevant. They just, when you're, when you're talking to the board, they don't caring less about the technologies. They want to know you have a strategy, a framework, a roadmap on how you're going to effectively manage risk. At the board level, they're probably not really concerned. Is it a technology issue? Is it a human issue? They just want to know you have a plan that's going to manage that risk. And that's where frameworks like NIST can really help or maturity models like Carnegie's CMMI model. Then when you get to the executive level, then you're going to probably want to get a little bit more operational. And that's where it's probably going to be easier to sell. I mean, just could look at your past data. Any organization can go look back at the past 12 months. How many incidents have you had? How many of those incidents involved or were the result of people, your employees? And they'll quickly see 80, 90%. So for executives and you know when you get more operational, they'll quickly realize, wow, we also have to address the human side. And that's what I'm starting to see more organizations do at a strategic level. I'm starting to see the role human risk officer or behavior and culture, influence and engagement. So it's no longer this idea of security awareness and it's compliance and it's once a year training. It's more about, hey, how can we make cybersecurity simple for our workforce? And that's where we're starting to see at a strategic level more security teams do. And so... How does that translate into a, a program's definition, um, perhaps budget discussions? Um, I'm, I'm wondering how, how security leaders begin to define the human role. Uh, again, kind of, I, I suspect it has to again map back to, well, yes, 80% of the incidents were human related and it took us X amount of time to respond to them and these assets and, and other critical elements were impacted, but that's the, the final impact is it affected the business in this way. Are, are you seeing that connection as well? Oh yeah. So, you know, when you start changing human behavior, so for example, I mean, phishing's a classic example, but there's other behaviors also too. Um, human error is a big driver of breaches today. 
The cloud's really confusing to include for IT admins and developers. A lot of breached sensitive data is because people are putting it in the cloud, but they're misconfiguring it. They think it's secure, it's shared with the world. I can give you other examples too. So what happens is by changing human behavior, creating a more secure culture, what you're seeing is as those behaviors change, you know, the number of incidents drops. The attacker dwell time drops. Costs related to incidents drops. Audit violations, policy violations reduce or drop. So at, when you start looking at the strategic metrics like those, you can correlate that with more of the behavior-driven metrics. And you can see, hey, by addressing the human side also, we are having a direct impact on overall risk. And not uh, not running a, a SecOps uh, program every day. Um, I have limited visibility into all the nitty gritty that goes on within a program. But the first thing that comes to mind when I think human element, risk, you mentioned phishing, that most of those breaches or incidents are driven by an email or some other communication-based link that's sent that a user clicks. But you you just pointed to another one that's probably pretty prevalent, and maybe there are others. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out is what's the scope of the human element? It's not just that, that somebody clicked on something, right? So that, that's you know, a really it, good point. It's easy to point to say, yeah, the, 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 and I hear this all the time and I hate it. You said the human is a weakest link or not the not the weakest link. I hear, hear people saying that or the stupid human. Stupid no, I hate employee. that. I, I, I hate all that stuff because it, it's so one, it's easy to get tricked. And two, it's so much more than that. So talk to me a little bit about what you're seeing there. So yeah, first of all, you know, what do we mean by human risk? So human risk is, you know, the behaviors of people increasing either the probability of an incident or the impact or the harm of the incident. And what's surprising is about 80% of human risk is cyber threat actors targeting people, compromising passwords, phishing attacks, things like that. But about 20% of that human risk is also accidental or human error. Like the example I gave with the cloud, autocomplete in email, losing your laptop, things like that. So first, when I say human risk, to me, that includes both people being a victim, somebody's targeting them, but also the human side, I'm sorry, human error. In other words, technology got so confusing for me, I just made a mistake, which by the way is increasing because technology is getting more pervasive and more confusing. But what ends up happening is by addressing both of those elements, both human error and people being targeted, to me that encompasses human risk. Now, other organizations may have a slightly different approach to it. Some of them may include physical security. Some of them may not include human error. Every organization's a little different, but to me, that's how I approach it. And so when we talk about um, user-friendly security and, and when we test, <laughs> test how well that's working, how, how well do we define uh, security policies in a user-friendly way, we, we do phishing uh, awareness testing, right? And we, we test our, our employees to see how well they, they've learned. But are there other things that security, and maybe they have to kind of collaborate with other departments, uh, business operations and IT ops, and because the, the example of the cloud that you gave, right? That's not really a security thing, 
but the risk oh. is there and security needs to kind of say, you know, if you're going to set up the cloud, you probably want to have containers set with certain policies in place that don't allow for keys to be, <laughs> to be stored in, in the public, right? And or whatever the, whatever the misconfiguration is. So talk to me about kind of what user-friendly security means in the broader scheme of things. Yeah. So at the highest level, one of the biggest challenges we have is a lot of human security programs. So think security awareness, security outreach. A lot of that is ran by security teams, which is good. But a lot of times the individuals running that are highly technical. So they really understand the technology and the problem, but not so good at the solution. So a lot of times when security teams are communicating to the workforce about cybersecurity, for the security team, they perceive it as simple, but for the rest of the workforce, they're absolutely lost. So for example, let's say you're rolling out MFA and the security team's like, hey folks, we're gonna be rolling out MFA. We're noticing that the cyber threat actors have changed their TTPs, they're going after credential compromising, so we're gonna move everything to an MFA format. You know, for security professionals, they're like, yeah, game on. For the rest of the world, they're going TTP, MFA, why do I care? I got a job to do. So a big part of making cybersecurity simple is just how we communicate. Communicate in simple terms that everyone can understand. People aren't stupid. They're lawyers, engineers, doctors, accountants, scientists. It's we have our own language, we have our own priorities. So we need to communicate in ways to make cybersecurity simple for people. Don't overwhelm them with 20 behaviors or 20 tips or 20 policies. Focus on the five, most top five that are the most important. Top five behaviors, top five tips. So there's a huge number of steps we can do to both simplify cybersecurity, but then also there's the motivation side. And that is, you know, explaining why this is important, why they may benefit, things like that. How, how about communicating uh, success, um, measured, measured results of we... You remember last quarter we we implemented new authentication. Nobody cares about that. They Nobody don't cares? care. They don't care if the numbers go <laughs> down or up. You know, but you got to speak in terms that they care about. So if you want to speak in terms of success and incentives, the key thing is here. Let's work with human nature. Don't fight it. You can give them all the data points and logic. They'll get it, but then they'll forget it. They really don't care how the numbers save the company so much money. What you can do though is make heroes. So to incentivize, if somebody identified a real attack and it was a pretty crafty attack, make a hero out of that individual in you know the monthly newsletter or email. Hey folks, so Sean did a fantastic job of identifying a really tricky phishing attack that was targeting four people in our company. Because of Sean's actions, he saved us a huge amount of pain. So Sean gets recognized. That's a really positive incentive, but you're now reinforcing the behaviors. So would I want to um, focus on success stories? Yes, but in terms that your workforce cares about. And maybe following that same same uh, concept then, because one of the things I want to talk about is kind of setting up the, the policies for how things work. And, and again, you pointed to it earlier, if it's IT or security, they're going to know the ins and outs of the systems and the applications and, and hopefully the business workflows to some degree, but probably that's probably where it starts to drop off a little bit. And then 
above that are the the user behaviors, right? So I'm wondering how how important is it, and how do organizations create their policies to not just be rooted in how the technology functions, but actually how the users will use it? You know, another good question. So first of all, take a step back. How do we manage human risk by changing behavior? Why do we want to make policy simpler so it's easier to change people's behavior? Why do we want to reduce the policies so they're more likely to be you know, change behavior? So policies, culture, communications, all of this ultimately is all about changing people's behavior. So policies you tend to have for two reasons. One, legal privacy compliance reasons. So for those type of policies where it's just check the box, people read, people accept, people sign off on, I'm not really concerned about. Just let's get this done. Let's get this over with. Then you have policies that really manage human risk. Hey, this is our policy about sharing sensitive data. This is our policy about strong authentication. For those key policies that really manage human risk, that are really focused on changing behavior, those policies you want to write and communicate in a way that's both simple for people to understand and follow. Far too often, security teams create a policy and publish the policy. And in their mind, hey, I'm done. Policy is out there. But now we have to make sure people not only know it and understand it, but can easily follow it. So what I would do is identify, hey, what are the key policies that we really care about? What can we do to simplify those policies? And then how can we communicate them in a way for people to easy to consume and follow? And uh, I'm thinking about uh, the role of technology, the role of controls. And I know, I know early days when I was at Symantec working on uh, endpoint security, there was always a, a discussion around well, how much do you share with the end user that, that a file was tagged and quarantined and need, need to be cleaned or, or versus just hiding it, abstracting that and, and letting them do, do their job without knowing what's going on. And I think that that same dilemma in my mind still sits there for the broader policy set. So I'm wondering your view, how, how important is it to abstract things that they shouldn't have to care about, but alerting them to actions that, that should be, they should be aware of so that they can actually change behavior? I don't know. Is there, are there differences? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to teach people anything. In a perfect world, the technology solves all the problems. I mean, think about, you know, that's the idea behind zero trust. Theoretically, if there's zero trust, people can't screw up, theoretically. And one day we just may hit that. That'd be fantastic. But, but until that point, People are a key element. Now, how much do we teach to include the why part? If you think about it, what you were just saying is really the why. Hey, you were infected, but we saved you. Hey, that was a real phishing attack you clicked on, but you know, Proofpoint was able to stop the uh, exploit or something. How far you want to take that depends on the organization. To me, it is important to explain the why. And anytime you can give personal reasons why, hey, we just saved you, fantastic. But that's also hard to scale when you've got 130,000 people in your organization and there's alerts and incidents happening daily. 
scaling that ability to reach out to people and explain, hey, we just saved you, or you were on the verge of batting and a big impact, big harm, that can be hard to scale. So do we want to explain the why? Absolutely. Do we want to explain the why in personal terms, how certain behaviors cause pain or actually maybe save them? Absolutely. It's just scaling that in the real world. That's a bit of the challenge. And I'm wondering, Lance, how much, um, I mean, because we talk about employees here, but there are different employees, different types of people, different roles, different a- a- access to information and and systems inside and outside the organization. Um, somebody in HR versus somebody in legal versus a developer versus somebody in finance. Um, different experiences there. So how... How do organizations kind of get that mix right? Um, is an employee an employee and then and then focus on the roles to, to look at different behaviors? Because, I don't know, educating a developer on the risk that they present can look very different than, than somebody in HR, right? So it's a bit of both. So certain behaviors are very common and shared throughout the organization. And I consider these like foundational risks, core risks. So just about everyone has to worry about passwords. They need to know how to safely, securely create strong passwords, manage passwords, phishing. Most people deal with email, um, vishing, phishing, um, vishing, smishing, you know, all the mobile device stuff. We all have mobile devices. We all have. So certain risks are shared, certain behaviors are shared. So there's this common core that I don't care if you're HR, IT, research, engineers, accountants, we all need to cover the basics. But as your program matures, you're then going to identify certain high-risk roles that require additional training. IT admins using the cloud, developers creating code, creating applications. So for that, you need more role-based specialized training. For that, you've got to create unique specialized training for that unique specialized group. In a perfect world, you have that unique training for all the different roles, but we all have real world limitations, budgets. So you tend to, hey, which roles represent our highest risk? Let's start first. And quite often I tend to find the highest risk roles will be IT admins, sensitive data in the cloud, developers, hey, you know, the, the applications handling our sensitive data, or maybe somebody like accounts payable simply because they're so highly targeted. And so maybe you can tie this to some of the work that you're, you're doing at SANS. Um, is there like a, a, a structure uh, security yeah. leaders can follow kind of that says, Here, here's how you begin to organize this stuff. So you, you may not be able to get to all of it, but at least you have an idea of what you need to aspire to yeah. in terms of a program. In five, 10 years ago, something like that didn't exist, but now we're really seeing this movement where Oregon security teams are no longer, it's not just focusing on tech, but we've got the human risk officer or we have the security awareness team, security culture team. So are there roadmaps and frameworks that enable us to better manage our human risk? Absolutely. In fact, I now I teach a three-day class at SANS on how to do that, management 433. And we use maturity models, we use different types of templates, checklists, things like that on how organizations can rapidly build out and mature 
really a human risk management program. Some call it security awareness, some call it culture and behavior, some call it engagement and influence. Call it what you like, but it's really how are we going to manage our human risk? So absolutely, other models and frameworks, yes. And I, I could spend hours nerding out about them if you like. <laughs> I, I would love that. Um... I don't think we have hours on this particular <laughs> chat to do that, but um, yeah, I guess what what I'd like to know is kind of how how that fits into uh, a, a broader program, and I don't know how maybe it's, maybe it's more along the lines of of budget. Um, how does some companies have limited budgets? So are there are there things they <laughs> need to it's not a budget issue. It's a thinking issue. So for example, you've got, let's go up all the way to the top. A framework like the NIST cybersecurity framework consists of five functions, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. There we go. Anyways, so we have a lot of technologies in place to help with the identify, protect at each of those five functions. So when it comes to the human side, once again, we at each stage figure out how we at the human stage can contribute to each of those five functions. So for example, protect. Now we're deploying all different types of technologies for protection, antivirus or EDR, firewalls, you know, perimeter based and all, you know, um, credentialing, authentication, encryption, all these technologies to protect. But what ends up happening is we can then develop humans to protect, you know, don't click, strong passwords, all this good stuff. But on the, you know, detect and respond, same thing. We can develop people not only be human firewall, but the human sensor. Teach people how to identify an incident, how to identify a suspected hacked system. Teach them how to report, make them comfortable to report. So by changing people's behaviors, we can once again all address each of those five functions of the NIST cybersecurity framework. So it's not an issue of something operational like budget or this or that. It's as we approach cybersecurity and use frameworks like the NIST framework, don't think in terms of how do we address each of the five functions just from a technology perspective, but how can we address each one from the human perspective? And the, the collection of humans uh, make up the, the company culture. So I'm wondering how, how leaders can kind of rally the teams to, to have these conversations openly, honestly, and to, to establish trust amongst one another. I, I love the word trust. You nailed the key word. So what is culture? The shared attitudes, perceptions, and beliefs. What is security culture? Shared attitudes, perceptions, and beliefs about cybersecurity. Now, that's a little vague. I can't go into your workforce and ask your employees, hey, what do you think about cybersecurity? And they're going to kind of go, um, so if I really want to dial in on what your security culture is, I'm going to go to your workforce and go, hey, tell me what you think about the security team. What do you feel about the security policies? Is the security training helpful? Now I'm going to get specifics. Oh, the security team, they're awesome. They're helpful. Or the security team, I don't understand a damn thing they say. Security policies, pain in the ass, a blocker, or security policies. Yeah, they're not that bad. They're pretty easy to follow. 
So those elements are going to drive your culture. So how do I address those issues? By working with the security team. Hey, we need to be more approachable, collaborative, friendly, helpful. Hey, security policies, we need to be simpler, easier. Security training, we need to be people focused. We need to be more engaging. We need to focus on how they're going to personally benefit. So by starting to break those things down, all from the human perspective, you can build a much stronger security culture. And one of the key words you nailed that really defines culture is how much do people trust the security team? So you know, if you're collaborative, helpful, approachable, friendly, you're going transparent, you're going to build that trust. If you're punitive, if you're egotistical, if you're highly technical or FUD-based, you're really going to destroy that trust and really destroy that culture. So, sorry, just went off on a tangent there, but you said one of my favorite No, I love words. it. I love it. And so I'm wondering, is a self-assessment a good thing or a bad thing for that? Who's asking the questions of- um, Well, so is self-assessment- yeah. yeah. So I, to me, the issue is not who's asking the questions. It's okay for, you know, the security team to ask. It's okay to bring in a vendor. It's okay to bring, you know, a security assessment, a culture assessment. The key is knowing what questions to ask. And like I said, a lot of people struggle. How do we measure our security culture? You can't just ask, hey, what's our security culture? It's you ask people questions. What do you think about the security and team, our security policies? And surveying or asking people is not new. That is a established science with decades and decades of research. So you just have to follow some basic scientific principles to really start getting unbiased or unskewed type of feedback. So it's less about who asks, it's as make sure you are asking and the type of questions you ask are important. And I'm wondering as we as we start to wrap here, I want to perhaps get a, a view of the future from you, Lance, because I know we've, the last few years, we've had quite a few changes, uh, remote work, um, the use of VPNs <laughs> and things like that, uh, a lot of use of the cloud um, for services and applications and things like that, which I presume change how uh, we interact with users from a security policy and controls perspective. I mentioned the VPN as one example. Where where are things headed? Are there are there advancements in technologies and the way businesses operate that that security professionals need to be aware of and kind of get ahead of the curve with respect to securing the human element? On the human side, no, because whatever technologies we implement, the cyber threat actors are going to come around. So for 20 years, we've been throwing technology at a problem. And for 20 years, the threat actors just take one step. I mean, the big rage now is rolling out MFA. Well, it depends on the type of MFA. Certain types of MFA are much easier for cyber threat actors to get around by tricking or fooling people. That's why you've got this new idea of phishing resistant MFA. Hey, we've got phishing resistant MFA. Well, then you've got vishing and smishing. So what really I think it's less about, is there a certain technology that's gonna solve this human problem? Absolutely not, because it's the human interacting with technology. I would flip what we need to do now is as we're every time we're rolling out something new, password managers, MFA, full disk encryption, single sign on, zero trust. Anytime we roll out a new technology, let's flip it. 
How can we make this easier for people to adopt and use? That sounds really easy, Lance. No, it's not. <laughs> making security simple is really hard, but big long-term benefit. Because every time we throw out a new technology, threat actors just figure out one step to get around it. So if we can start addressing the people behind the technology, long-term ROI. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just thinking through some of the, the MFA examples, uh, SMS versus email versus app, uh, off yeah. apps. Or, or the big I mean, one that- um, The introduction of those, one, one or the other could change how your business runs and your users interact with systems, which could screw things up. Oh, yeah. Well, Lance, uh, it's it's always a pleasure to see. It's been too long since we've had a, had a good old chat, and I'm, I'm grateful for you to come on to uh, share your insights with us today. Um, perhaps you'll send a, a few links over for, for people. I know you mentioned NIST CSF, so we can certainly include a link to that, but any other resources you think would help our listeners get ahead yeah, and so start sure, on a good program? I'm going to send yeah. you some goodies right after this. Lovely. All right, Lance. Well, thanks. Thanks so much um, for everybody listening. Uh, stay tuned for for this to be produced. And uh, in the in the show notes, you'll find the links that uh, includes all the goodies that Lance is going to send. And um, hopefully some good tidbits here. I, I certainly learned a lot and uh, hopefully others did as well. So, Lance, thanks a million, man. Hey, Sean. Thank you. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Asgardia by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDAS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Cybersecurity with Sean Martin, part of the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share this channel and ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. And you can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Thank you.